Welcome back, Blue Jays fans, to another edition of the Blue Jays Spice Podcast. My name is Bryant Ott from whiteandbluereview.com, and we're back on the air. It's been a while. We've done some other podcasty type stuff here the last couple weeks after Creighton men's basketball exhibition games against UNO and UNC Pembroke. Uh, but back in the back in the real true podcast swing of things with my partners in crime, Matt DeMoranis and Joey Tempo. Say hi to the guys, Joey and Matt. Can I get some highs? Gentlemen. Hello? Roll call. Come on. Let's hear you. Let's do this. <laughs> okay. So we got a lot to talk about. It's been a couple weeks since we've been on with one another. Obviously, a lot's happened. On the pitch at Sokol Arena, men's basketball, women's basketball, also getting ready to start this weekend. Um, so I think, guys, it, it behooves me to talk about maybe the uh, maybe we get the maybe we get the frustrating stuff out of the way first. How's that sound? And then we kind of get positive. Um, if you guys are cool with that, we can kind of unpack how the last couple of weeks have gone for Elmar Volovich's men's soccer team. Uh, they bow out of the Big East tournament as they barely got into that thing as the sixth out of six, uh, the sixth out of six seeds to make that tournament. They lost on Saturday to St. John's three to one, effectively ending their season. Right? I mean, I haven't followed the RPI and stuff enough to know, but there's really no chance that they're going to make the NCAA tournament. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, I'd say it's definitely not going to happen. Okay. So we're back into an unfamiliar position, right, Joey? Just how uh, difficult of a pill is this to swallow for a program that at a minimum has been making NCAA tournaments uh, almost every single year for the last two decades? Well, I'm the, I'm the guy that told you uh, a couple months ago that they would have a better shot of making the College Cup than the women making the NCAA Final Four for volleyball. So. You're, not, you're not the only one. It yeah, is right. uh, – it is a difficult pill for me to swallow, um, and I can only imagine uh, how tough it is for the coaching staff and especially uh, the players and the seniors. Um, you know, I've talked to a few of them, and they are uh, they are just beside themselves with what happened and uh, how things got so out of control so quick. So it's uh, yeah, it's very disappointing. I mean, the last time um, Creighton missed the tournament was what? Matt, eight years ago, nine years ago. Yeah, that sounds about right. Maybe two thousand nine, I want to say. Yeah, I mean they 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 bounced back from that hiccup and they brought in a core group of guys, Ethan Finley, Andrew Duran. You know, they brought in core guys and you know made a couple college cups under a couple different coaches, or I guess under Bolovich with uh, with that core. So hopefully they can turn this around, but. Um, you know, they, they lose some pretty key pieces this year that they've been working toward. And like I said at the beginning of the year, I feel like this was the year they had, they had been working toward uh, to, to make a big push into the NCAA tournament. So it's very disappointing. Um, you know, and the Big East is not a very good league this year. I think the, the Creighton's year, right. RPI at the moment is about 55. So they're mm-hmm. definitely on the outside looking in. There's there's really no chance they get in. And to be honest, they, they don't deserve to get in. They're, no. their, their record is not very good. They haven't beaten very many good teams. Um, and they, they backed into the conference tournament. So it's very, very disappointing. Sure. I just think the interesting thing to me is how good they were offensively. Um, I think they led the Big East in scoring offense, but they also were worse than the Big East in scoring defense. Like, um, 
especially when you know it's kind of a tale of two seasons, really. The stretch run is just a different story when when Mitch Legro went down late in that Providence match, which was a zero zero draw out in Rhode Island. I mean, they I think they allowed fifteen goals in the first thirteen matches of the season, and then they allowed ten in the, over the last four. That's a lot. I mean, especially when you're playing for your life in all those matches, that's just not a that there's just no conceivable way that you can be successful regardless of how good your offense is to allow that many goals over that short of a period of time. And um, I mean, it's kind of crazy because they went into that Georgetown match, you know, with their backs against the wall and knowing what they needed to do. And then they actually scored first and actually played pretty well in the first half. I thought they were the better side. Um, But yeah, Georgetown just put it on them in the second half and really kind of showed their class, I think as one of the top teams in this league. Um, And then obviously Creighton, you know, still had a, just stayed on the road, went out to St. John's and kind of got knocked around in the first couple of minutes before, you know, they, it's funny because they actually played, I thought they were the better side for the majority of the match. It's just that they, they were, you know, they just conceded the two early goals and it kind of put them in a really hole, a big hole and they just couldn't climb out of it. But yeah. it was kind of the story of the season was getting yourself into an early hole and having to climb back. You look at all the matches that they had to rally and you think about Tulsa, think about Virginia Tech, you think about, um, you know, Grand Canyon, which was a draw. Marquette was a big one. I mean, there was just so many, um, so many matches where they just fell behind and, and had to like work their way back and be desperate in the final moments. And so it was kind of the, a fitting way for the season to end, considering the way it started. Yeah, I mean, you brought me on here to prognosticate on what the team was like and what we see this year, and I didn't get a lot right. But uh, if there was one thing that I <laughs> That I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew from the beginning the offense would be fine, and I really thought it would click sooner than it did, and I thought it would click with different pieces. I thought Mario Slumas, Sven Koning, I thought those guys were really ready to, uh, to, uh, to add to what Creighton already had from the previous years, and they, they just weren't. But I mean, looking at the roster, it was clear from the beginning that the defense had big holes, and mm-hmm. I think you're right, Matt, that Mitch Legro plugged a lot of those holes. And uh, even though it was obvious that they were good for a goal or two a game against, um, once he left, it was, it was, you know, a sieve. These guys are yes. student athletes, but I mean, it, it it was their defending at times was embarrassing. How naive and how positionally, uh, you know, inept they were sometimes. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, against Marquette, I don't think I've ever seen such poor defending in thirty minutes of a Creighton team, and that's. Maybe that's a little bit harsh, but, you know, and that was the game right after they had lost Mitch. So maybe give him a little bit of a break uh, uh, in, in, that, well, in, that, in that regard. But, I mean, it's – it, it didn't really, it didn't really change, though, so I don't know if you can give him a break. Well, really... and, and that's my – that's kind of my question. If I if I come on here and I have one question, it's just there were so many holes in the defense, even with Legro from the beginning, that there was obvious things weren't working in the back. And yet we really never – you know, the, the staff really never switched a ton of things up back there. And I wonder if they could do it all over again if they would, if they would have slotted somebody. You know, and it sounds ridiculous, but slotted somebody like Kuba Polat or Joel Rydstrand, who are who are 100% midfielders, but maybe put one of those guys back there just to lead the line, especially with Mitch gone, and just be a leader. Somebody who could put their foot on the ball. Um, you know, they're not natural defenders, but we've seen in the past that Bolovic, Coach Bolovich has moved some midfielders, or especially some defensive midfielders, back to that center half center back role and he's had success with that and so while um 
while I definitely think Joel and Kuba are the, are the future of Creighton's midfield, uh, at times I feel like they were adding, they were, they were the same player in the same position and they learned to work together throughout the year. But, but we just, we just allowed so much in the back and teams really targeted that. And I know for a fact, other teams were licking their chops at the end of the year with Creighton's center back pairing. And it just never was settled, never looked solid. You know, Kluver could never, uh, you know, find a right footing at points. And uh, he kept us in the game for times against St. John, but um, you know, it, it was just, it was just never meant to be. And despite Creighton's offense clicking and having great pieces moving forward, uh, you know, it just seems kind of like a waste of a, a season because of that. And it's, like I said, it's, it's tough. So. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting how the league was kind of upside down. When you look at Providence and Creighton where they were picked in the preseason to kind of battle that out for the conference title. And, you know, both of them had to back their way into the league tournament on the last day. And then both of them just get blown out of the water in their first game in that conference tournament. I don't know. It seemed like they kind of got what they had earned throughout the year, basically, in those two squads. And I don't know what – I don't know what Providence situation was like. I don't know why they underachieved so poorly. I know their non-conference schedule was really tough and they took some lumps, but, um, you know, they never really got together. And it's kind of fitting that they played so evenly out in Rhode Island um, hmm. before the wheels kind of fell off for both of those teams. I mean – it was just interesting the way that they were both – I thought they were both the class of the league coming in and maybe a Georgetown or a Butler would be in that second tier um, considering what they had to replace, but it was that's not the way it played out at all. Yeah. So I know we, it, 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 I know we focus quite a bit on men's basketball recruiting and we'll get some little uh, – you know, we'll get some little blurbs and breaking news when volleyball, you know, continues bolstering their, uh, their recruiting classes, which right now are just exceptional – um, but what's the, I mean, what's the, what's the turnaround here for Bolovich and his guys and Johnny Torres and all the, well, all the coaching staff? Yeah, like, I what mean, are we looking at? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they have pieces coming in. Um, and you know, they have an offensive midfielder, uh, from, from Latin America coming in, uh, in January. Uh, they have a, a, a transfer goalkeeper coming in from, uh, a perennial blue blood, uh, soccer program. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're reaching out to a couple uh, international players again. And with, with Hawkinson and, and Polot and Rydstrand, you have a good core in the middle. Um, but um, losing Lopez Espen, losing Noah Frankie, losing Stoffer, I mean, those guys were the heart of this program for years. Those are huge losses. Those are, like, like, they might be, they might have, a, I mean, on paper, they might have a worse year next year. I, mean, I, I, I can't even tell you how much this program is going to miss those guys. Yeah. There, there's, there's maybe not a trio of players in any sport that I followed that have been as, you know, as pro Creighton as those three and losing those and, and Kluver I'll throw in there too, because I mean, this kid is a, a Creighton lifer, but losing those kind of leaders, um, you know, is going to be super difficult um, because despite how bad Creighton was at times, those guys really did carry the team. And if you look at the postseason awards, which you, maybe you don't put a ton of stock in, but the two first teamers from Creighton were Ricky and Lucas, and the second teamer was mm-hmm. Noah. And I mean, you knew those guys were going to make the first team and the second team going into the year. This, this, the, the inability to find any players to really help those guys. And, and Kuba yeah. did a great job, but the fact that they weren't able to get any help, really, that was the, the telltale sign for the season not going well is, you had this solid core of players and you just couldn't surround it with players that were going to be able to help 
amplify what they do best. And it, it's it, it, it's maybe sad to say, but it, it seems like just a waste of their talents and a waste of their senior year. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't think Creighton fans will will see a, a trio like that uh, come through the program from freshmen to seniors and grow and develop like like they did. We'll probably never see that again. The way college soccer is moving, so it's hmm. it's bitter. It's very bittersweet. Very bittersweet. But I mean, but to the to the point that Brian was trying to make was that I think there's a, there's going to be a lot of question marks that I don't think we can answer based on spring performances, and I don't think we can answer based on maybe no. whatever. There's <coughs> excuse me, whatever three exhibition friendlies they get um, in the fall. There's essentially there's going to have to be someone we don't know of right now that has to be an impact player, maybe even a couple, I they, would they, say, because they, they lost all of their, almost all of their impact players from this they, year. They think they have a couple impact guys coming in. I've talked to the staff. They're pretty confident that the roster overall next year will be better than the roster overall this year, which, you know, um, maybe isn't saying a ton, but when you lose Lopez Espin, Stoffer, Frankie, when you lose those kind of guys, and you think you can replace those guys with new guys, that's promising to hear. But, I mean, they thought they were going to get impact guys in Loomis and Koenig, and they didn't. And so, you know, college soccer is such a crapshoot, and I think that if there's anything that's been positive from what, you know, um, you know what I've you know heard around the program is that they, they realize, you know, the staff and the program realize, you know, some of the errors in their recruiting, and, you know, they missed on some guys, and that really did hurt. But um, – if there's any, you know, if there's any solace to take in it, I mean, if you could pick any, you know, buddy to construct a program that missed the NCAA tournament into a power, it would be somebody like Coach Bolovich and John right. Torres and Mike Gab. Those guys are great recruiters. They have an awesome program to sell. They have practice facilities that no other school has. They have a stadium like no other school has. So there's lots to sell for Creighton, but there's um, there's going to be lots of lots of roster openings. So yes, it'll be very interesting to see how they feel those going forward. And plus, like, with the way they play, the style of play that they have, just with the, everything kind of being on the ground and, you know, combinations and all that type of things, where it's not like you can just, um, you know, get one a top a top forward and then kick long balls to them the whole time great, the way they play. So great chemistry point. is going to be a huge part of the deal next year, getting those newcomers integrated. And then, you know, you'll have to rely on the Hawkinsons and the ride strands and, you know, the pull-offs to kind of connect everything. Um, early on while the rest of the guys are kind of getting integrated. That's a great point. Actually, they, they, they deviated from their system this year. They found Loomis and they thought, okay, this guy's so good. We will change the system we play in to play this guy up top and he can bang in 10, 12, 14 goals. And we can take the fact that we're going to change the, what we do best because we're going to have these pieces that will fit this system. So, I, th- I I think they're going to go back to having that kind of pressing type system, which they did not have this year. Lopez, mm-hmm. Espin, Loomis, those guys are not pressing high pressing forwards that made Creighton such a tough team to play because you could never relax playing against their forward line. And um, I think teams took advantage of that. We're lumping balls forward. And with the maybe inability for our center backs to get you know, footing under them, they, they, um, they were pretty easy to, to, to break down and, I think that hurts. So I know that they're going to they're going to they're going to go back to the ways of Ethan Finley of of those pressing forwards, those pressing wingers. So I think we'll see that kind of formation back in um, uh, back in their future. And, and like you said, it'll it'll be something that we'll have to begin immediately. I mean, 
January is only months away, and um, that's when some of these new guys get in, and they're going to have to integrate and you know develop leaders and and that chemistry right away. So I haven't really paid much attention, admittedly, over the last couple of years to the spring schedule. But when you talk about new guys coming on campus in January, you talk about chemistry, you talk about reinstilling sort of that that modus operandi that they that they approach for their system. You know, how important do those spring games become? How how much do you know the critical eyed um, soccer fans look at those and and, and take? Um, valuable information away maybe not much okay. uh the, the the actual results and the game management right. that the games are playing they're they're very meaningless they're putting players in positions where they where they either want to see them succeed and and develop a role on the team or they want to see them out of their comfort zone and say can this guy play as a left back or can he play as a target forward and so they're really trying a lot of things uh, but the, with the way that the mls in, in particular is set up um, players that graduate or players that will have professional ambitions need to graduate in the winter. And Creighton does a good job of making sure that the, the, the top talent, you know, the, the Ricky Lopez, Espens, Lucas Stoffers, Noah Frankies, those guys are graduating in December so they can go be in the combine to be drafted in March for the MLS. And so what you want when you enter college as a freshman is you want to enter in January. So you have that semester under your belt. So you graduate in three, four years and you're on that, that MLS cycle. So they're, they're trying to bring in a bunch of high school, junior college, international players that are on that cycle. And so what, it's not that odd for you to bring in a new player in January because it's so far away from your season and you really can develop some kind of chemistry and cohesion um, in those, you know, six, seven months prior to preseason starting. So sure. results wise, not important. Um, chemistry wise, you know, it's huge. Cool. But I get, but, but uh, onto the chemistry thing, I'm not sure how much of that translates to the fall, too, because I've seen um, some guys come in the fall and say they had great springs and that they got integrated really well, and it just never clicked. I mean, Anthony Macchione is a, a good example from this year's team. Um, you know, the reports out of what he did in the spring, it sounded like he had a really good spring in regards of, like, you know, meshing well with the team, finding a role, in that attacking line, and it just never really clicked. I mean, he, I don't think it's unfair to call him say that he wasn't really a factor this year much. I mean, I think he had a good a good exhibition game, uh, maybe against Ohio State, but I can't really pinpoint um, any match where I thought, yeah, he's really putting a lot of pressure on some on some opposing team center defense and things like that. So, would agree. It's it's interesting the way I, how much how much that translates is. I don't really know. I mean, I know that soccer wants to kind of go into that split season whole deal, but um, it's gonna be tough with the MLS. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And then also, it's like kind of almost again two different seasons because what someone does in the spring hasn't always translated to what they'll do in the fall and things like that. So well, I don't know. There's yeah. a lot, but all I know is there's a lot of pressure right now on on the impact players they currently have still on the roster, like the Joel Rydstrands and Lucas Hawkinsons, we already mentioned that, you know, those guys are going to have the weight of the world on their shoulders come the fall because they'll be the leaders that people are kind of looking on match one to kind of get this thing rolling. Because I don't know if, if you have a season where you had, where you have a season like this, 
if you get off to another slow start, what will that do to the confidence of the people that are returning? Because they'll kind of have a here we go again mentality. Um, you know, will they lose confidence in the newcomers already? You know, will they want, you know, well, developing that chemistry will be tough if the results don't, you know, come with it. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see the way they start that season off next year because this obviously the way they ended this one um, won't leave a good taste in their mouth. Yeah, back back to what you were saying about Macchione. I think that that's true. You, you do lose something uh, when you go from spring ball to to the start of the season. I think the problem was with a guy like him, and, and not I'm not targeting him or, or singling him out, but he had a role in in the spring. He was one of the lead forwards. And then what happens is, mm-hmm. then two weeks before the season, you get a you get a grad transfer in Mario Slumis, who the staff was on all spring. But, but then that redefines Anthony Macchione's role. And his role goes from, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, the one, maybe two, maybe third starting striker. Now I'm the fourth or fifth starting striker. You lose confidence. Uh, you don't know what you're trying to do or what the staff wants out of you per se. And I'm sure he does. But, you know, you just maybe lose a little confidence because you went from maybe the guy in spring to now a bench player. And so that's where you get in trouble recruiting internationally and guys that, are, are going to show up two months or two weeks before your, you know, two, yeah, before, exactly. before your deadline, preseason. I mean, so that's why it's tough. And Creighton got burned on it a little this year and a couple players, and it got burned on it by getting a couple players eligible because it maybe redefined roles that guys weren't ready for or, or what have you. So, so that's difficult. But that's nothing that other schools don't deal with. So it's not a Creighton-only problem. Um, so mm-hmm. that's, the, you know, that's kind of where that stands. And one another guy I got to bring up is Peter Prescott. I mean – the kid started his sophomore year, played a lot his freshman year at starting center back, and you know he played every second. Played every yeah. second, I know. And the guy was a junior center back in a position that we had great need all year and could barely sniff the field. And it'll be interesting to see if he's a guy that the staff looks to next year to be a leader. He'll be a senior, and so or does 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 he look elsewhere because he doesn't think he's got a role here? So um, he was a great kid. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I think we could have used him at times this year in some capacity. And so, um, yeah, I mean, th- there's going to be a lot of question marks with the roster next year. You know, I usually kind of look at the rosters years in advance and next year's roster has huge holes everywhere. And so mm-hmm. it'll be very interesting to see how those holes get filled. And they'll be filled in the next couple of weeks. Like, I mean, I know. January, January is the time when these guys roll into the, roll into campus. And so, I mean, it's not like they're, they're not already, you know, five, six new players deep. They're, they're out there really scouring what's, what's international. And, and then once college soccer ends, I'm sure there'll be a lot of transfers on the market and Creighton's always a desirable place for players like that who do not have to sit out. So, so we'll, we'll see. All right. Well, not to joke, not to joke about it, but they'll have a lot of time to recruit. So I don't, I don't expect that they'll be in the Only the second they have a lot. time. Since 1992, that they do not qualify for the NCAA tournament. Well, at least they can't break my heart and lose in the Elite Eight again, right? So <laughs> is yeah. that worse or is that, I, is that better or worse? I, 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 I take I take that for the season. I know, I, take man, it. I would too. <laughs> yeah. I would too. Um, let's talk about a team that just uh, had a nice little weekend of its own. Um, started Saturday, that- November 4th. I don't know. Probably the school's best chance to win a national championship. Oh, Kirsten Bernthal Booth's volleyball program. I, I need me some of that. I need that crow. I mean, I, <laughs> no, hey, I I started this crow. Yeah. 
Okay, so set the stage for us, Matt. I know, um, gosh, I don't even think we've talked since they went up to Milwaukee and got skunked 3-0. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, because I think our last podcast was right before they went out to Queens and swept, uh, well, Seton Hall and St. John's, uh, six six zip out 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 east that weekend, and then um, on the second half of uh, a long road trip, they start off with an 0-3 uh, result in Milwaukee. But ever since, been rolling quite along. Had a had a tough five setter against Butler. Um, but really a couple of exclamation points this weekend, their last weekend in Omaha, I guess, officially, uh, but Marquette comes to town and the Jays really, I mean, frankly, just like dominate from the start. Right. I mean, set the stage for us that weren't among the thousands of people that were in Sokol that weekend. Yeah. They got Marquette back pretty good. Uh, I think if you, it was almost identical the way it went in Milwaukee, just a different team was enjoying the enjoying the match. I mean, Marquette really put it on them out there and then Creighton kind of returned the favor in almost the exact same manner. Um, not just winning in three, but dominating in three. And it was big, uh, big for both teams. Honestly, their Marquette since beating Creighton had, uh, they dropped two matches, uh, one on the road to Villanova and one at home to Butler, who is, you know, Creighton kind of, people kind of opened their eyes when they saw Creighton going five sets with Butler, but Butler's, Butler's really good. Um, they're kind of on a roll right now. I think they already have 20 wins, if I'm not mistaken. So they're kind of putting together a sneaky late run at an at-large resume here. Um, and they certainly have a big weekend this weekend because they're hosting Creighton on Sunday. So yeah. that's going to be a tough one. Um, but, yeah, they got Marquette, so that kind of gave Creighton – put Creighton back in the driver's seat. But you obviously have to get that rubber, that second um, that rematch with Marquette in order to solidify it, and that's what they did. So – um, you know, they're in a good position right now, the position they're usually in in the Big East. I know it seems like uh, they haven't been playing um, very consistent throughout the whole Big East season. You know, how much of that is just part of their process and making sure they're peaking at the right time, which is certainly – I tell you what, I, I didn't go to a single practice this week, um, and then I went to watch, you know, obviously Marquette and DePaul matches and yeah, they look a lot better. I mean, that was probably one of their. <laughs> well, then you need to stay away, dude. Because yeah, whatever. Well, well, no, no, it's like it's more about it's. <laughs> Kirsten Berthold with that coaching staff has a knack for getting them on a trajectory that has them playing their best volleyball when the calendar switches to November and it gets time to crunch time. Like that is just lock in time, and they looked locked in this weekend. What did they do differently at home versus Marquette than away at Marquette? Because I, I unfortunately missed both games, but I, I read the reports, and I, I mean, they just dominated Marquette this weekend. And, I mean, it looks like they got dominated in, in Milwaukee. So what, what were some of the things they did differently? Yeah, well, preparation, it seemed like it was a pretty big deal, how they scouted Marquette and things like that. But also, from a passing and serving standpoint, they were much better in Omaha than they were in Milwaukee. I think it was hard to try to put it, a certain way in Milwaukee it was more like they were just playing on their heels the whole time and in Omaha they were dictating from the start so uh it I think the Marquette match was I don't think that was indicative of how good Marquette was at the time or how bad Creighton was playing it was just a bad night honestly Creighton wasn't ready Marquette was fired up um and you know I wonder how much of that was just like human nature because honestly it's kind of stupid what Creighton has done to this conference uh, I I can't imagine 
it's easy for, you know, 18, 22 year olds to go through the non-conference that they did where you're playing Kansas, Kentucky, Washington, Purdue, um, USC, Northern Iowa, like they played four home matches, all non-conference. They essentially went through, walked through fire to improve their resume and they did it all away from home. And then they come into this, you know, league play where they had won 50 or, I mean, the last two seasons they had won 39 out of the 40 matches they played against these teams. And then you start 6-0. and So you're like, okay, well, you know, no one can touch us in this league. You know, there's kind of, like, you, you maybe there's like a, an opportunity there to, to let your guard down a little bit. Um, but, you know, here they are sitting 13-1 and again. Uh, just, you know, if you were to say what, what should they be at the end of league play? You'd say maybe what one or two losses, and they're currently on track to do that again. So they they understand what this month means. They understand their margin for error right now because they want to host um, in the NCAA tournament. And to do that, there isn't much margin for error left. I mean, I think if you look at the Butler match on the road, yeah, um, that's one that they could drop, and it won't be devastating. If you look at the Villanova match on the road, that one's. I don't know if that one is one you can lose anymore because Villanova's kind of struggled a little bit and their RPI isn't what it was earlier in the season. Hmm. <clears throat> so really, Butler is one that is a dangerous one. And then obviously, the way things are shaking out for the conference tournament in Milwaukee, if you end up having to face Marquette and Butler again, you know, so there are maybe three, possibly four, if I give Villanova just a nudge, that three, maybe four chances to kind of, you know, get that resume nice and tight for the selection committee. Um, but I'll tell you, right, if that, if they carry over what they did this weekend, they're, they're going to be, yeah, they're not going to be, hand, so they're going to be a handful no matter if they're in Omaha or if they're some getting sent somewhere else. Cause they're, they have shown and proven the ability to kind of play their best volleyball, um, you know, in late November and December and things like that. I think their, their, their track record is, it, it you know it's, it speaks highly for what they're doing and the current core that has done that too is still intact so so what are you looking for now with these back-to-back um road trips i mean what are you aside from you know uh recreating how things went last weekend what what are the telltale signs for you matt to to see you know if they're on point uh, you know aside from um you know, results as a whole. What are you looking for? Well, I, I guess if you just break down each matchup, I guess Xavier is a team that has Xavier and Georgetown are team. They're not very good, but they have you know dangerous outside hitters that kind of gave gave Creighton problems at times in Omaha, maybe for a set or a set and a half. Um, I don't think either of those teams can play at Creighton's level for an entire match, so I don't see those as there are going to be matches that you can't lose, but they're not matches that I think they'll be in danger of losing anyway. So, but they're the ones that Creighton doesn't want to lose because they're RPI killers. So I think if if they lose one of those, I think you might be able to. That might put the hosting thing in a bad way. But the Butler match is going to be the toughest one remaining, obviously, because they push Creighton to five by taking the first two sets in Omaha, and you know their offensive parity is just they're so hard to defend because you can't really key on any one or two particular hitters because they kind of have three or four that you can come at you with. And they set them up really well. The offense is really good when they're passing well. So for Creighton, it's um, 
Kirsten Berthold talks about all the time, but passing and serving is going to be huge in that match um, to make sure Butler is not in system a lot because I don't know if Creighton can handle them defensively if they're passing, you know, a bunch of threes and setting up to, you know, three options at the net every time. So um, that's going to be the big key to the Butler match is just making sure. And they serve really well this weekend, probably one of their best serving weekends of the season, maybe with the exception of what they did in Lawrence um, back in September. Uh, you know, Sam Bonet is really just an impact player. She doesn't like stand out statistically when you look at just her numbers, but she is an impact player from the service line. No question about it. Um, Alexa Romeliotis, true freshman has um, inserted herself into the starting lineup as a defensive, de- defensive specialist. And she's serving really well. Uh, Lydia Dimke has this, has developed this little long serve now. Um, hmm. Cause she couldn't, she couldn't really jump from the ankle injury. So she kind of just stood back at the service line and worked on just bombing them without any run up or jump or anything like that. And she's kind of mastered it. So, She's just sticking with it. So it's kind of like one of those blessing in disguise things. Um, but I think passing and serving will be key to the Butler match. And then, you know, same thing with Villanova. If you look at the Villanova match in Omaha, um, Villanova, the one set they won, they really served the ball well and got Creighton out of system. And that's for a team like Creighton offensively with so many options, if they can pass well, they're, you're not going to stop them. They have way too many options. When you look at Marista Wilkinson, Megan Ballinger, Taryn Cloth, Jaylee Winters, um, you know, just like at any time, they can put three or four hitters on the floor that are going to be tough to deal with in their own system. So I think I think Taryn and Jaylee, when they both hit, when they both hit over 200, which is decent for an outside hitter, when they both hit over 200, I think Creighton is 40 and one all time in their careers. So. They don't even have to be great. They can just be average, and Creighton is almost unbeatable. So that's kind of the key to everything is making sure they're passing and serving. If they lock down from that, I don't think Creighton loses the rest of the way. All right. Are they healthy? They are. Yeah, they're good. I think uh, Kenzie Crawford's a little banged up right now, but um, like I mentioned, Alexa Romeliotis had kind of inserted herself into that role anyway, so – um, it wasn't. I don't think it was one of those things where it was taking a starter off the floor. Um, but right now, yeah, they're they're pretty they're pretty good. No one's no one's nagging anything. I mean, obviously, at this point in the season, everyone's got something nagging, but um, nothing impactful. Knock on wood. There you go. Gonna be exciting. Yeah, but yeah, you guys do. You guys will have to eat some crow though, because I mean, Creighton can essentially go one and done in the tournament now, and I'll still be right, right? <laughs> Right. <laughs> I, I will. I will gladly be at all those matches for the women, and I'll gladly eat as much crow as you can divvy up there. Sounds good. All right. Let's uh, let's take a hard turn to the CenturyLink Center. Hoops. Yeah, you know, I didn't think I was going to have at this point uh, a chance to have seen two games that our new Blue Jays. Uh, would have played out in public. Obviously, we knew they were headed to Missouri or uh, Minnesota. Minnesota, excuse me, uh, and and lost up north. But uh, that University of Nebraska Omaha exhibition turned out to be a really nice night to get things going. UNC Pembroke came to town for the regularly scheduled um, exhibition game. It looks like that team, which 
I know. I maybe I read too much into uh, Tom's pregame primer, but by the end of that, I was kind of scared for the game. I mean, it's a Division three school. Um, probably shouldn't have been, but the way Tom can break things down very clearly and logically had me worried about a team in Creighton that has a lot of new pieces in play um, and a team in Pembroke that uh, had a ton of guys back and um, certainly looked the part, very athletic, not huge necessarily, right? What D3 team is going to be rolling out a ton of Twin Towers down there? But... Uh, but they definitely looked apart, and the first five or six minutes of that game was back and forth. I know they ended up showing pretty well uh, in Cedar Falls against UNI, and mm-hmm. the Panthers needed a kind of late run, um, kind of on the Eldon Miller, uh, Ben Miller tour, DeForce through the Midwest. But, uh, yeah, I love your guys' take. I know we've listened to Matt, you and John talk on the, on the Blue Jay beat after the UNO game and after the Pembroke game about your initial reactions. Um, but now that there's been some days removed from, from that initial, uh, from that initial post game wrap up and you've seen some practices or you've talked to guys kind of what's your perspective of how things went and what the coaches were expecting versus then what happened on the court, uh, during Pembroke. And then even, I guess, against UNO. Well, I think my main takeaway is that there's not really much that, was a question mark going in that got a specific, got a definite answer coming out. Yeah. Um, I think I, if I were to point to anything that maybe looks like, oh yeah, that's going to be ready to go from day one is maybe Mitch Ballack and Tyshawn Alexander seem like they're impact freshmen. Um, now, you know, I, I say that, but it, we're two exhibition games in and you know, the, when the regular season starts, it's a different story when teams can scout you and things like that. So the more film that people get on those guys, the, it might be a different story, but I just like both of their instincts. And it's like, it's one of those things where if you were to try to say coming in that Tyshawn Alexander is a scorer and like a combo guard style player. And if you were to try to say, well, Mitch Ballack is a sharpshooter. I didn't think after those two games, I don't think I can confidently say that it's fair to peg them as specialists in those areas. They're basketball players. They can do a lot of things really well on the floor to to, to the point where I think they can, unlike most freshmen, they can play through their mistakes because they impact the game in so many different ways. I mean, they're going to make mistakes defensively, certainly. They're going to make mistakes where they'll be in the wrong spot offensively. But they make, they're make they going to be able to make up for that type of stuff. And I think you'll see that they'll have longer leashes than most then, I mean, Davion Mintz, for example, last year did not have a long leash because he didn't impact the game in ways that those two do. And so his mistakes were more magnified because he wasn't making up for them. Those two guys, I think, are going to have a longer leash. Now, this, the other part of that is they're playing behind Kyrie and Marcus. So they're not, the coach staff is going to have to get really creative to find ways to get those guys on the floor, whether it's playing them with – either Kyrie or Marcus while they sub one out and give them a breather and things like that. Or if they go really super small ball and just try to run other teams off the floor and things like that, because Mitch played some four in the Pembroke game and things like that. So um, the coach will have to get creative to get them on the floor in certain ways, but I think they'll be, they'll have long leashes to start the season just because of the way they impact the game. 
Joey, what did you see yeah. while you were out there? Yeah, no, I was, I'll echo what Matt said. I think I was very impressed with the all around game and the ability for um, Tyshawn and Mitch to, I felt like they were playing at the a speed where um, some of the upperclassmen are already playing at. And that's, that's cool to see because um, I feel like it's been a while since we've had a, a, a guy come in that's been able to, to play like that uh, even in preseason. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a little, a little rocky. I didn't get to go to the UNO game, uh, but I was, it was a little rocky against Pembroke at the beginning. You know, I think their pressure really frustrated us. Um, I doubt we'll see very much pressure from Yale, uh, but, and maybe Northwestern as well, but um, you know, maybe down in KC, I think that it, it might come out that, uh, Pressure hurts Creighton into the flow of the offense. I thought uh, Matt and John Niatawas, and if you haven't listened to their breakdown of, of, of some of the games, you, you really should. It's great. But I thought what you guys broke down about how, um, you know, when Ronnie comes into the game and, and is able to, to rebound and then start the, uh, the offense from his position, uh, I, I feel like that's going to be uh, an aspect to the, to the team where um, we're going to see that pay dividends all year. I think it's going to be very difficult for other teams to uh, match up with Ronnie in that regard. And then whoever they put on him, either fight for a rebound against him or be able to stop him if he's got the ball uh, moving forward. The problem is, uh, you know, he's suspect to making a turnover or uh, forcing a pass here and there. And uh, it'll be one of those things that'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be interested to see if the coaching staff is, you know, we talk about long leasage for Mitch or Tyshawn. I wonder how much longer of a leash, uh, Ronnie Harrell will get this year and if, if they'll be willing to live with his uh, you know errant passes or turnovers or uh, sped up play um, to get to get some of those good aspects of rebounding and pushing the ball forward because um, because I think that could be a dangerous weapon for Creighton to uh, to deploy uh, especially come Big East time so um, yeah I mean we talked a lot about the point guard play uh, the last time I was on here and you know I don't know if that's somebody has run away with that job at all uh, you know, and, and so, um, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how they match up. Uh, Yale's backcourt is, 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 you know, obviously basketball smart and, uh, uh, intelligent. And so it'll be interesting That's to see so how it's racist. I so mean, racist. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what race has to do with anything. They're basketball players, Joey. How dare you? Yeah. That don't get scholarships and go to Yale. I'm guessing they're kind of smart dudes. Whatever color skin they are, I'm guessing the high guys. guys probably shoot the three ball well. That said, that unselfish. Said, now, I think this will be a very. I mean, this will be a very interesting game uh, for Creighton, and I think it's a great game to start off the year with. Uh, the, they should be able to uh, hopefully, you know, take a couple blows and then, uh, you know, start the season out right and uh, at a at a high at a high tempo and. Um, uh, that should prepare them well for Northwestern. I think, I think those are two similar type teams. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, that'll, the, that'll be a, an interesting, uh, interesting match. I mean, can I tell you guys how much I love this time of year? I mean, you're talking about Northwestern. That's a team that captured a lot of people's imagination um, last year on their NCAA tournament run. Like we play those guys in a week, you know, yeah, like, I know. it's just, Everything is so slow when it comes to college hoops until it's not. And then it's like we've got three games in seven days, and it's just on you. I love it. So um, I know we're not doing the – or I know ESPN's not doing the 24-hour tip-off deal this year. People are going over to – Yeah, people are going over to China. 
and doing bad things before they play, whatever that is. I mean, like, let's just talk about, like, that's a legitimate implication for the Blue Jays. You got oh, yeah. three guys there's for no UCLA. Way those, there's they no get. way those guys play in KC. I don't think those guys play in KC. Well, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if they're suspended all year. Has that come out yet or what the punishment is? But I just no. don't see those guys getting off in a couple weeks. So. Will they even they, be back in the country by then? Like, I don't know. I, they got to get yeah. back in the country. So, yeah. um, you know, if you guys are just tuning into this, look it up. But three UCLA, U, three UCLA players accused of shoplifting at a Louis Vuitton store next door to their hotel in Shanghai where they're getting ready to play Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech uh, was also in the news for bad things today with Josh Pastner <laughs> um, pretty much – getting called out that uh, his players had been receiving impermissible benefits from, I don't even know who the guy was, but anyway, college basketball is like a really grimy place right now, but that doesn't change yeah. the fact that the season is anew. It's upon us. And that's one of my favorite sure. things about this sport is that you just have a new bunch of guys and it's going to be great to see how these guys play out. Ronnie Harrell has not been able to get off the bench for the majority of his time on Creighton's campus this year or um, during his career, and this year through two granted meaning, meaningless exhibition games, when he's out there, it's fun. Man, he's grabbing boards, pushing tempo, getting them into their offense, and I think that's what people want to see. And whether or not that will hold up during the course of the regular season, I don't know. Obviously, people are super jacked about Balak and Tyshawn because uh, they do look the part. And, um, you know, there's just obviously – Marcus Foster and Kyrie Thomas, this team will go as far as they'll take them. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't think they showed anything less than what we'd expect from them and their two exhibitions show up, you know, showing up and Kyrie just, you know, wreaking havoc and Marcus taking shots and flexing muscle and doing what he wants to do. Um, <coughs> even even getting off a little slow, you know, uh, I guess Pembroke. But, yeah, but was, that, was that by design? I mean, the, I, I see Marcus out there and I think – God, there's times when last year he would have just jacked it or driven to the bucket with no lane. And this year I feel like he's making the right play. Granted, against a Division three team during exhibition and against UNO, you know, whatever. But I just feel like he, he does. He looks he looks a little bit leaner. He looks a little bit more oh, mature. He for, sure, he for sure looks leaner. I'm not going to get a man I, crush on it, but like, holy shit, he, when he rolled, rolled out, I was like, this guy's coming to play. Not that he didn't last I mean, year or any means, but he looks ready to roll. Son. He looks ready to go. He looks like he's playing professional ball in college. Like he, he looks like he's on a mission to, to, to yeah, to, to, to carry Creighton, to carry Creighton. That's that's awesome. You know, the other thing is, I think the point guard position was a popular uh, position of debate throughout the off season, and you know, understandably so because you feel like that's an important position, but it doesn't feel like it's that big of a deal. Just. Just watching them in practice and watching them in games and, you know, what we've seen so far, I just don't feel like they need one guy to be the guy. And, oh. I mean, they just have so many different Certainly guys not. you can create. And, I mean, when you look at just the people that they put the ball in their hands and the way they move offensively, honestly, anybody can kind of be the creator. It just feels like there's a lot of options. And I don't necessarily know if there's a lot of pressure on the Davions, the Caleb's, and the Tyler's to be the man anymore, just because of the way the things have flowed. Um, you know, you see Kyrie can create yeah. when he runs the one. You see Kyrie, Marcus can do it. I mean, you, Mitch you talked about can it. do it. We talked about it in the post game radio show. You know, and I, when you also talk about man crushes, right? We this this 
podcast can always pretty much be known as like the Kyrie Thomas Memorial Podcast, you know, honorary podcast <laughs> Memorial. or whatever. Memorial. Honorary, sorry. Yes, there um, you go. Memorial because he might be done at Creighton after this year. Yeah. Maybe I'll put it that right. way. But, um, you know, to remember how Kyrie sounded on John Bishop and Nick Boz post-game radio interview his freshman year and how he sounded – confidence wise and leadership wise after the game uh granite just an exhibition game but great point holy smokes the changes there and obviously he's gonna bring to the table what he brings to the table as a player on the court but man i just hearing him talk about how he would take the point guard position if necessary and how he talked to Davion and those guys about the positions and the or the reads of the position that he needed to know, in case he needed to run those, run that point. Um, but he just so sounds like I'll do this if I need to do this, and I'll do it well if I need. Yeah, to they do asked. This well, they they asked him. They were like, "Are you the leader of this team?" And he said everything but yes. I mean, he was so political with his answer. Because a leader that, doesn't necessarily so, have to say hell yes, right? They can just yeah. lead exactly, by example. Yeah. They can. But 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 his right. his response was that's what yeah, I'm talking about. I am, this team, which was so refreshing to hear, and your point is well taken. I mean, that kid would did not sound like that two years ago, oh, and he's grown so much, and it's so exciting to see that come out of a junior, uh, an Omaha kid. I mean, ideal. It's great. Yeah, he's great. The, the The roster is there. Back to the point about the point guard, though. It, it, it looks like anybody can create, and point guard's not going to be a big issue until it's a big issue, and I guarantee <laughs> you. Yeah point card will be a big issue. I mean, this, I mean, if, if anything, you know, and Creighton takes an L somewhere, that's the first thing people are going to bring up, whether that's right or wrong. I mean, the point guard spot is always something people are either going to complain about or bitch about or, or, or have beef with. It's, it's just, that's what it is. And so I was hoping that there would be a little bit more, um, you know, you know, finality to what they wanted to do. And it does. I mean, all those guys might be equal in the clubhouse and that's great. But at some point I'm still hoping somebody just takes it by the, the horns and says, this is my role. So, but I just wonder how much of it, I'm trying to think, you know, who's been successful in the big East and who's had people run the one, like I think back to Seton hall and when, you know, when they won the conference uh, big East tournament title, the other, you know, a couple of years ago, I don't think, I don't think it's a bad thing. If you're one as a role player, I just don't, you know, if you have impact players on the floor, I guess I should say that if you're one as a role player, and you have impact players all around him, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, Seton Hall's I, I, offense, though, was get it to one dude who would jack up shots, and then the one other guy would get an <laughs> hey, offensive rebound. There was no offense to that team. This team, yeah, there's an saying, offense. I'm not saying take... Seton Hall is – yeah, I don't, I don't like that. There's, there's just... options here. Like, I don't think, I don't think we need – I don't think Creighton needs there to be Maurice Watson heir apparent. Like, I think they'll be okay if they have low turnover guys who – move the ball well, and know when to cut, know when to screen, know when to pop out, know where to be on the floor, like Tyler Clement. Um, you know, just guys like – He's so unselfish. <laughs> guys like that. He's such a good communicator. know where they're supposed to be. Yeah, exactly. God, you're so racist. Probably a, probably a smart guy. Um, yeah, if they just have – if they just have guys who know where they're supposed to be and know where everybody's supposed to be, just be organized. Um, don't make a ton of mistakes that – bog down the offense and things like that I think they'll be fine I think they have enough creators and enough offense you know to get it done without having a guy that's just spectacular at the one 
Can we just laugh for a second? You remember how when Seton Hall had Isaiah Whitehead and they won that Big East tournament and they got everybody's hopes up and then they got waxed by Gonzaga <laughs> in the NCAA tournament? Like, I love that. I love that shot, story. Remember, he was like one for 20 <laughs> in that game. Like, it I love was it. so bad. I love it. That said, <laughs> this that is my said, favorite time of year. Class, because that whitehead class. Everybody. That whitehead class is ready to go this year. Those guys are going to uh, be good. Whatever. They're, yeah, they're no, gonna they're going to be – they should be good. I mean, if there's somebody that can mess like, it up, it'll be Kevin Willard. But they should be good. Yeah, they should be good. Um, they won like eight games last year by like two points or less. Like I don't know, man. Yeah, but that's a, that's a huge luck factor. Who's, who's stopping Delgado this year? Who in the league? Delgado might stop himself. Like he's yeah, he's, yeah you know, dude. Come on, Mad Dog. Don't, don't, don't forget that guy <laughs> sat on the end of the bench crying while Creighton was. Laughing. That was amazing. I can't oh. get that out of my head. That guy's still there. He's in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Mad dog, just stick the mad dog on. Him. We'll be all right. Yeah, exactly. Just get him in his head. But like, let's keys, talk about because this time of year is so fun. Like, people legitimately think Manny Suarez is going to be the answer right now. <laughs> like, filling in for Justin Patton. People are like super optimistic about all these things that more likely than not, if other old seasons worth of exhibitions are our litmus tests, are just not going to bear out and come to be. Um, yeah, you know, I'm looking at the things that I didn't see that I'm worried about. I didn't think Toby played well in either of those games. I know he's coming back from a from from an injury. Yeah, he's not 100. Um, percent He's so. not 100. percent I think Martine repeatedly giving the ball to the other team is not great for mm-hmm. what we want to do down there. Um, but like those to me, those to me are what stuck out. Not necessarily that we didn't have a Maurice Watson type point guard out there. I just I think it's going to be interesting for the coaching staff how they're going to address yet a different style of play and we've seen it as Doug was a freshman all the way through as that morphed into what they were doing and then um, obviously adjusting for the type of quality point guard and the type of point guard Maurice was for two seasons or a season and a half uh, you know god dang it but um, you know just what the adjustments will be and Matt you see that more than anybody in practice all the time but um, what do you think this team is poised to do um, come 2017, 2018, and the and the games matter. Well, I mean, I have them at. I think I had them at 23 and 12 overall. Like when it's all said and done, and <clears throat> I've got them finishing fifth in the league, and um, I think it's a good spot for them. I think it's a good league again. I think it's not going to drop off at all. Um, but I have them on the bubble in the NCAA tournament. I don't think it's going to be one of those years where, um whether a lock or anything like that, I think it'll be, there'll be a lot of, you know, we'll have some post game shows where we're like, you know, where, where Brian's really mad and yes. they feel like the, the loss that they'll lose by 20 to somebody, maybe a Villanova and he'll think the season is, he'll think the season is going in the tank and things like that. We'll have that. Um, but it'll be part of the process. I think I have them on the bubble. I have them, but I have them getting in, you know, I think they'll be fine. I don't think they'll be, I don't think they have, the ceiling that they had last year, I certainly don't think that's going to happen again. Um, but I, you know, when Kyrie and Marcus, like it's still a guard, yeah, it's still a guards game, right? And Creighton has two of the best, I think, two of the best in the entire nation, um, based on everybody's preseason rankings of these top one hundred or whatever the hell players. I don't know why people try to do that, but they're bored. Um, based on based on all those, you know, I think that's still. They still have a chance to surprise people by, you know, having maybe two All-American candidates and whatnot. But 
Um, it wouldn't surprise me if both of those guys are all Americans at the end of the year, at least honorable mention. Um, but yeah, it's a guards game and they have two of the best. So as long as they stay healthy, I think they'll be fine. You know, the interior, like you mentioned, is obviously the the biggest question mark I have going into the season because they just don't look like there's been a consistent answer there yet. I mean, Toby is the most seasoned for sure, but he's not 100%. He's not going to be 100%. Um, I would say it's even maybe going to be tough for him to finish the season based on how that goes. So they're going to have to be really careful. Maybe a Grant Gibbs type of deal where they manage that as best they can to get him through the year because it's not easy. I mean, when you're a big guy and you have an ankle injury like that, I mean, that's that's just that's just tough. I mean, you're so limited. Um, you know, Martin's a guy that's going to have to step up, obviously, and be better than he's been before. Uh, man, he's going to have to be serviceable in his eight ten minutes a game that he gets. And, um, and then Jacob Everson's going to have to, you know, continue to improve and, you know, and he's battling an injury too, so it's not something that, like, he's ready to go or anything like that. He certainly has the skills to make an impact, and he plays hard. Um, that's the one thing I think that's been separating him from Justin Patton. Maybe as a true freshman, was um, Justin Patton wasn't a guy that could string together multiple possessions of maximum effort, whereas Jacob Everson is that kind of guy, even though he's not as skilled as Justin is. If that makes any sense, so. Um, He's the guy that can make an impact. He, you know, he'll have games where you're like, oh, yeah, give him 20 minutes a game, and then it won't, you know, based on a, a five- to ten-minute stretch or something like that. So it's going to be by committee, um, but they certainly have guys with ability that maybe can answer those questions from game to game. But right now I think that's probably the biggest question mark on the team is just how they handle that on the interior. Fifth in the league, Matt, that gets into the tournament, doesn't it? I mean, I know it's on yeah. the ball. But fifth in the Big East is, is a tournament team, so I think so too. Right? I mean, that's fifth, just, sixth. and I don't think that's their ceiling either. I think their ceiling is probably because, like I said, I'm not, I'm not. Well, thinking, who you who you walking in? Seton, I don't think Seton Hall's like a world beater. I don't think Providence is a world beater, and I'm not forgetting that Xavier, as good as their NCAA tournament run was, that they were maybe a win over DePaul and a win over Butler from not making it at all. So, you know. Outside of Villanova, I don't really have a lot of confidence that, oh, yeah, that team's legit. You know what I mean? I, I, I could see e- any of those teams struggling. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Creighton's ceiling is probably maybe in the, you know, three to five range. Three, four or five uh, spot, but, yeah. Yeah, but I could see them falling below that, too, and still being a bubble team. Um, it all depends on how that thing shakes out. I think when you look at DePaul and Georgetown, I feel like those two are pretty – I mean, much gonna battle it out for the bottom, but I feel like everything else is kind of up for grabs. Let's be honest, my six-year-old is starting to get uh, emotionally attached to, or emotionally involved in the games. Let's just say, and he uh-huh. was really pumped to get his new schedule poster right because they've translated all these cool cartoon, um, comic book graphics that they've built out <coughs> for the. Um, ticket package and the on-screen uh promotional videos and everything they put it on the on the schedule poster awesome right so we're driving home from the game on friday night and he's looking and you know he can read like some small words or whatever and he but he knows you know he knows all the big east teams logos and exactly what team is what because i raised him right and (laughs) he's starting to go down the list he's like dad i know the games i need to go to i'm like oh okay like thinking he you know 
whatever he's going to choose, whatever games, right? He's like, well, we've got to go to DePaul. we got to go to Georgetown. I'm like, well, why? He's like, because those teams are bad and we're going to win. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you never get your hopes up. And you never, you know, anything can happen, like saying all like the kind of like the right politically correct Dad stuff thing. I'm saying. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, you know what, dude, you're right. Like, yeah, the best part about that fan. Georgetown game is that it's the pink out and that we get to see Pat Ewing about 15 feet away from me. Otherwise, mm-hmm. if we lose that game, I'm going to be extremely concerned because I don't know what is going on in D.C. I mean, I know what happened last year and how ha- ham-handed they handled everything out there. But, um, man, that's just – if I'm a George, like, can you imagine being a Georgetown no, fan right now? Lost, oh, my God. They have a bad roster. It's not just like a roster with question marks. It's like a bad roster. No, it's like a question it's mark. Like a like, where are we going to get guys to play? Do they, yeah, yeah. Do they have enough players to compete. Like, yeah. Did they even schedule and, 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 an exhibition game? Um, I, I went looking. I didn't think I saw one. I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know. I know they're not. I'm looking right now. Probably, I'll get to be, I think they'll probably be 13 and one or 12 and one going into the league play. So I feel pretty confident <laughs> right. about that. Yeah, they're there's pl- no exhibition on there. They're uh, playing like their 13 team. exhibition games, is what you're telling me. Essentially, no. yeah. I think I think they'll be like. I actually think they'll be like a CBI team or something like that. Well, they're going to go one, two, three, four. They're going to go eight. No, they go Jacksonville, Mount St. Mary's. Some team I've ever heard of: Richmond, Maine, Coppin State, Howard, North Carolina. Oh, A&T. the Spiders are decent, right? They used to be. Yeah, yeah, but, that's but, the one loss. That's yeah. the one loss they'll have. All right, all right. <laughs> Seven and one. Then they got Syracuse at home. Then North Texas, Alabama, A and M. Hey, North Texas. And, Don't get me started. With, at least, yeah. are they playing North Texas on the road? No, they got them at home because they're smart when they schedule North Texas. God. They don't go home home with North Texas. Twelve twenty. I feel like that's that was the like... date. That was the date that the Jays lost at North Texas. I swear to God, it was a yeah. couple days before Christmas. Uh, boy, I took a nap to that entire game. Did you know that? I never told that story before. And then you woke yeah. up and they were going on a flurry and they almost ended up winning that game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When I woke up, they were like at the end of the run, and it was like. And Austin got um, like severely concussed. Oh man, that yep. was just brutal. But yeah, they're they George not to make this a Georgetown bashing podcast. I mean, I guess we'll wait till we throw up a brick in DC and I have to vent again uh <laughs> on how that goes. But man, they're playing like all of the swack here. I mean, this is like, just But like it's bottom it's Why bottom not? tier swack though. <laughs> yeah, the the it's not even good swag. I'm gonna start a podcast called Bottom Tier Swack. Uh, they play Syracuse, <laughs> so we'll see a bunch of righteous Georgetown fans tweeting about that a lot. That'll be fun. That's the 16th of December. But yeah, other than That's that, just wow. the real they've got Alabama dot 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 A and M, not Alabama, and then they start with Butler at home on the 27th. They don't even get one of the New Year's Eve games. Man, how the mighty fall! Jeez. <laughs> All right, so Georgetown's going to beat us in D.C., and it's going to make me mad, but we'll beat them on the pink out, so that'll be good. Uh, what else? Yeah, you mentioned How many, time, how many times do you good? think Georgetown scores 70 this year? What do you think they do? How, how many times? I mean, they don't – Zero. How many zero. guys – How many zero. guys do they back? <laughs> he has a good in, zero in, in, in conference, <laughs> zero. In yeah, conference. in conference play, you're probably right. Yeah, I get yeah. that. Yeah. I can't tell can't you what North Carolina A&T's roster looks like, but – I mean, guys. I don't think those guys score at all. They have – Oh my gosh, what is happening? So that Govine guy, that that dude's back. He's a big guy. Yeah, he's he's good. He's, he's good. good. And that Derrickson's good. Derrickson's good. That's kind of it. They have George Mirson's kid. That's amazing. He's 6'9", 210. He's At only 6'9", 
I know. At 6'9", 210, he's almost a full foot shorter than his dad. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> and he's a walk-on. And he's a walk-on. <laughs> oh, man. Jamorco Pickett. You can't make up that name. God, I love it. I can't wait to – like, this is my favorite time of year. You're going to start going through all the rosters. Okay. You know? Can I just tell you something, though? Like, I know we're bashing on Georgetown DePaul. Like, I'm kind of I'm kind of on DePaul a little bit. They Dude. got some players. Yeah. They, in, yeah. Like, they got Grandstaff, who's a transfer. McCallum is a good 3-4. They got Marek, a, a transfer center. Strauss is from D2. Like, they got a couple pieces where they're going to be a little tricky. I definitely don't think they're going to last. Like, I, I definitely think Georgetown bottom feeds all year. But DePaul could, like, I could see them knocking off the middle of the, the Big East teams. They'll still be playing. St. John's, but, right? Yeah, they'll but St. John's. John's. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. They'll St. be Marquette. John's overlook them. Yeah, for sure. They could beat us. Be I mean, time. they could beat us. No, a couple of years ago, they came that. to Omaha and beat us. They could beat us. Did they, did they do that? Oh, they? that's right. The 10-0 run that they ever recovered from. Yeah. Oh, that, my God. Remember that one dude, that. the 6'8 kid that started dropping threes, and we're like, what? Who's yeah. this? What's happening? Uh, Levi Dyer. The best thing going for DePaul is that the rock band Chicago is going to open up their new building this weekend. That's going to be that's amazing. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Honestly. yeah. So they got a new building. The kid that committed to them, Tiger Campbell, who then decommitted, is now – going to visit them again so things are looking up for the blue demons uh, well there's only one way for them to, to look in defense of that right comment but like, let's be honest but uh, speaking, of, speaking of commits creighton commits creighton's uh, gonna get a to sign tomorrow maybe yeah they'll both sign tomorrow yeah Z- zagorkowski and bishop will sign tomorrow zagorkowski why do you keep saying it like that because i can't say it i'm oh just gonna God. call you keep adding gonna call different Z2. syllables in there z2 <laughs> Z2. That's fair. That's fair. Marcus Carter Williams. I'll call him that. No, that'll be good. I think Joey's like, I think Joey's 0 for 6 on Zagorowski so far. Uh, I'm tired. I almost called in sick to the podcast tonight. Ooh, but... I like that. <laughs> called in sick I, to I, the I, podcast. Is this I, your... had, I, had, I had to give the, the soccer their due. Is know? this I your Jor- to... this is your Jordan game podcast, isn't it? You're just well, shrugging it. Fl- your flu game. It's your flu game. We'll let, we'll let the fans, we'll let the three people that are still listening decide that. We'll let the, uh, we'll let the download count tell us if this is the, if this is the flu game or not. Um, well, no, guys, I'm excited to get going on these more frequently again. I know I say that uh, often. Yeah, but... nice if you like followed through on that, like say right? that, and get my hopes up, and then we don't, then you don't call me ever. Oh, you're too busy talking with your new best friend, John Niatawa, dude. Come on, how am I supposed to break True. up that triangle? I guess it's not a triangle. Hey, and by the way, I, I think I said this off air, but if you're not, all right, I said this on air, but yeah, Tawa is so good. Yes. If, you, if you're listening to this and you don't read them for some reason, go read them. So good. If you don't listen to Matt and John's podcast, go do that. John Niatawa is such an asset to this program right now. It's it's he's he's such a great basketball writer. So agreed. Um, but let's uh, let's keep that uh, that mojo going with him in White and Blue Review. So. So <laughs> plus we're two and zero. Oh, you know. Post game, I know they're exhibitions. Since but... we started the Blue Jay beat. Yep, Blue Jay beat, and that's what it is. You guys are th- the two beat writers uh, covering this program, and couldn't uh, couldn't ask for more to have you guys, you know, uh, distill your breakdowns twenty for twenty minutes or so after each. Game. I mean, so honestly, it, honestly, we do it for hours anyway, so it only makes sense that we record like some of it. Sure, it's gold. Just, just record it's gold. the good stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so this weekend we got volleyball on the road. 
soccer, as we talked about, is done. We've got <laughs> men's basketball. I know we I know we haven't even talked talked Flan yet, but they open in Friday morning. Is that right? 11 yeah, eleven thirty against Wichita State. Oh, Wichita State, that directional school. Sure, remember them. Uh, <laughs> the AAC, the AAC power. Yeah, uh, God, yeah, that's right. Um, how exciting! It's gonna be fun to watch Wichita women get blasted by UConn every year. Now that's gonna be so great, right? I love it. Like Gino just running up the score on Wichita, the fans you... booing and stuff. I can't believe. Like it's just weird to think that UConn starts the season uh, coming off a loss, like the UConn women. Like that's kind of wild. Yeah. Um, but they have three All Americans though. So well, sure. They'll be okay. No one's ever yeah, going to cry right. for Gino. So, <laughs> uh, so women start against Wichita State at home. I know you've seen them a little bit, Matt. What they got a ton of pieces to replace. What do you think? Just quick on mm-hmm. Well, I think defense. I, the way I kind of put it overall is that last year's team coming into the season didn't really have. Um, let's see if I can say this right. Much room to grow. They kind of who they kind of were who they were going to be already. And they kind of just had to piece it together, practice well, stay healthy, and, you know, end up winning a conference title and it's a tournament game and things like that. So I think they fulfilled what they were, what their ceiling was, but they kind of, they didn't really have much growth to do. They were a really experienced group, you know, outside of Jalen Agnew, who was um, a redshirt freshman. So um, she had a year in the bank without having to waste an eligibility, any eligibility. So, um, this year, there's more question marks. Obviously, when you lose Brianna Rollerson, when you lose Marissa Janning, um, Lauren Works, MC McGrory, and things like that. Those are those are. I mean, they all had huge roles. That I mean, first of all, Marissa's one of the best players in Creighton history. Uh, Brianna's one of the best post players in Creighton history. Um, Lauren was the best communicator defensively and hit clutch shots like it's what she was born to do. Um, and NC McGrory, even though she didn't get to finish the season on the court um, due, to con- due to the concussions, um, she was a really big presence in the locker room and on practices, and um, she was a really big leader for that team. So that's going to be there's going to be some bumps in the road this year for sure. But with with all Flans teams, they always get better as the season ends. Um, so and they have enough pieces to be. They all, all the coaches feel like they're still into a tournament team. It just feels like it's going to be a different process than it was last year. You know, defensively, they're not where they were at last year at all. So that's going to be something they have to get better at. Um, but in the meantime, they'll ride the big three of Audrey Faber, Sidney Lamberty, and Jalen Agnew. Um, those are three players as good as anybody's got, um, you know, aside from the perennial powers and things like that. So. Sure. Um, they have a good core to lean on while their other pieces are kind of growing into their roles. And um, so, and the non-conference isn't going to be very forgiving. So um, as it normally isn't with uh, Flans team. So it's, uh, I guess I'll say it's going to be a year where you should probably be a little bit more patient than you were last year. Last year, you probably should demand it more um, as they gave you. But I think this year still has NCAA tournament potential, um, but it's going to be more of a up and down process to get to that point. Sure. So their first four, after winning their exhibition against Northern State, sixty-eight, sixty-three, they start at home this Friday morning against Wichita State. Then they hit the road for two at South Dakota and at Nebraska. Then they come home for a game against Northern Iowa, former Valley foe, Northern Iowa. 
before playing out at the South Point tournament in Las Vegas, where Creighton fans are familiar uh, with the Gahan um, property out there. They'll they'll go out there for Thanksgiving weekend, play Washington and UCLA. Uh, no one no word if there's going to be UCLA players suspended for that team as well. <laughs> But um, we'll get a taste against uh, those Bruins, the Lady Bruins, whatever they're called. And uh, so, yeah, interesting start to playing season uh, for the Blue Jays. We're going to have three basketball games knocked out by the end of the weekend. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I know. It's wild. So, got to get our rest now, boys. Get ready to listen <laughs> to Blue Jay beats and console our six-year-olds when they cry because they think that every time the official blows a whistle, it shouldn't have happened. Their father raised them, right? I mean, he legitimately was – I'm not trying to embarrass the kid, but he legitimately was arguing with fouls that were being called during the UNO game, and the people around us were like – they're about 50-50. They, 50% of them are like, wow, this kid knows a lot about basketball for a sixth grader – or a six-year-old. And the other 50% are like, man, this guy's dad must be a huge dick because <laughs> he is already complaining about referees. So Just wait till you, just wait till you get some curse words mixed into the vocabulary. We're working on it. We're working on it. We're working on it. He's going to be uh, a hardcore 13-year-old back there. Oh, boy. I mean, <laughs> he uh, he was calling out plays for the most part with some of the really? stuff he saw on Friday night. He's like, well, Kyrie was supposed to go there. I was like, actually, yeah, Kyrie was supposed to go there. I mean, he's thinking about <laughs> last year's action and stuff, but he's the boy that goes to bed um, watching the Creighton, Wisconsin uh, highlight reel that Tom put oh, really? together. Oh, yeah. Nice. That video's got 38,000 views yeah. on YouTube. I feel like 5,000 views of those come from our household. So. <laughs> Uh, James is just studying that ball screen defense. How pretty much, man. Yeah, pretty much. Good. All right, guys. Yeah, something like that. Uh, So yeah, we'll talk soon. We'll podcast again soon. I promise, Matt. I won't let you down. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll just see another exciting season of Creighton basketball for both the men and women through, and see kind of where some of these new guys fall in, and see how Kyrie and Marcus leave their mark. Um, Certainly, Marcus's last year. And Kyrie looking for a signature uh, junior. Kyrie's campaign. last year, too. Yeah. Kyrie's last year, too. Yeah, let's see it. Which one happens <laughs> sooner? Kyrie leaves early or Sokka oh, wins a national championship? <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry. All right, Joey, Matt, really appreciate you guys hanging out tonight. Um, we'll be back soon for another edition of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. For Matt and Joey, I'm Bryant Ott. And for all of us at whiteandbluereview.com, we thank you for listening, reading, coming to the site, and engaging in conversations about all things Creighton sports. Look forward to seeing you guys on our social media accounts and on the site sometime soon. Have a great night. Get ready for college hoops to start. Go Jays.